Good morning again. It's great to be here. Glad to see everyone here. We're, we're cruising through Hebrews. We're in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 7 to 16. But I'd first like to say that um, I want to encourage you guys to consider pro-life ministry. Pro-life ministry. Six commandment stuff. Thou shall not kill presupposes what? That we need to protect life. I think every Christian should be involved in protecting the lives of the unborn in some way. I know not everybody is made to go out to the abortion clinics, um, but there's a really great median point, and that's solutions uh, and pregnancy centers like it. And also, there's a very good movie, actually one of the best, not even just Christian movies ever made, but one of the best cinematic excellence uh, it's called Voiceless. It's a great movie made by a Christian guy that's about the church getting involved in taking a stand against an abortion clinic that moved across the street from their church. And you can get that on Amazon, iTunes, and all those other places. So I, I encourage you to watch that. And I also encourage you to get, ask Miranda about how you can get involved as well. All right, so Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13. I'll read it. How about that? I'll read the first, uh, if I can find it. Hebrews is in the New Testament, right? Yeah. And so, get here. This Bible is so big, it's, I'm, I'm either going to have to get a smaller Bible or a, uh, a bigger pulpit. So I'll put that in to Wayne for approval. Ch- chapter 13, verses 7 to 14, and again, this is the summary, the wrap-up of the book, so he's giving a lot of what seems to be arbitrary comments about the Christian life, but there is a theme underlying these passages. And so today, we're going to talk about the theme of going outside the camp, of going outside the camp. Uh, and it says here in verse 7, remember... This is really the only verse that doesn't necessarily, to me, I wish that he put this somewhere else, but it doesn't necessarily fit great here, but we're going to force it in there. Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. Jesus Christ, verse 8, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Some more commands here. Do not be carried away by varied and strange teachings. For it's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, through which those who were so occupied were not benefited. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For those bodies of the animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as an offering for sin, they're burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate. So let us go out to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. And again, another little glimpse into the, into the end goal that he's trying to communicate to these people. For here we do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking the city which is to come. That's what we're doing. And so through him then, verse 15, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. 
And finally, verse 16, do not neglect. Again, that do not neglect. Remember, we're seeing all these memory uh, verses here. Do not neglect doing good and sharing. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. So we do see that theme here of sacrifices, but really what that is couched in is the theme of where the sacrifices take place. Okay, so he's saying we need to go outside the camp. What we know from studying Hebrews this far is that the sacrifices of the Jewish people were still happening at the temple in the old temple system that was invalid because of Christ's death and blood that had spilled, that had fulfilled the old covenant. But these Jewish people, a lot of them Christians, supposedly, were saying the real way to be a Christian is to stay in the Jewish sacrificial system. And they were saying, no way, you can't do that. And they gave those people grace. But then there were others who came into the Christian camp and said, you know what, this Jesus' blood stuff, this isn't making a lot of sense. Number one. Number two, I'm not too comfortable being around this. I, my whole life, I've been, you know, uh, uh, I'm an Israelite, so I need to be at the temple. So forget Jesus. His blood is invalid. I want the blood of bulls and goats. And that is an abomination to God. We learn that in Hebrews chapter 6 and Hebrews chapter 10, that this abomination now, even Jesus considered the sacrifices that, that were getting made, a lot of people see a lot of color in the words, the abomination of desolation, which is the sacrifices, the abominable sacrifices that were going on in the holy place by the Gentiles. And that's complete anathema. And so they, that, the, all the blood of bulls and goats from the time Jesus spilled his blood on the cross, all those blood and goat, all, all the blood from the bulls and goats to God were not acceptable. As a matter of fact, they were an abomination to God. That's why the writer of Hebrews said anybody that goes back to that system is trampling over the blood of the Son of God. And they're not even counting it holy. And that is, you're done. That's complete rejection of Jesus Christ. And so this people, the book of Hebrews, as we read through it, but this, is a very, this was a very serious, traumatic occasion for the people that were reading this letter. Because this was, as we see from our author, this is a matter of life and death. And isn't that the character of God? Right? Just when we feel we've out-sinned God, just like when we feel we've done the same stupid thing over and over, but this time with even more knowledge than we had last time, and we're like, this is it. God is definitely going to poof me. I'm done. And then what happens? God not only doesn't poof you, but he delivers you, and he does it in a way that's so gracious and so merciful that you fall down and you just want to worship and obey him and love him because you don't deserve it. He deserved, he, you deserved the hand of the discipline of God at that point. And what did he do? He came in and he gently lifted you up and put your feet on firm ground. And you're like, all right, but what else, God? No, just, I rescued you. 
You see, we're so convoluted of a picture of fathers because of our earthly fathers and them being sinful, although many of them were great, right, and flawed. It impacts our mind on how we see our heavenly father. God is a loving God. And so he wants to save us. He wants to help us. He wants to deliver us. He doesn't want to see us fall. He doesn't get pleasure when we continue to fall. And so this book illustrates that heart of God. And why am I saying that? Because this pastor is a, is a pastor, I, I think, the most loving pastor in all of the New Testament in terms of this communication. Because he says the hard things. He's warning his people. He's petitioning them. He's pleading with them. And that's the heart of God. And so just like God... Right at the end, right when we expect God to give up on us, God gives us another form of encouragement. He gives us another admonition. He gives us one final encouragement to get on the right path because he loves us. And that's the heart of this shepherd here. Because that's just, in fact, what he's doing in this passage. You see, the whole plea of the whole entire book is a warning and an exhortation to get out of the camp that they're in and come outside the camp to Jesus in the camp of Christianity. And so there's a lot of these underlying little uh, ideas in this passage. A lot of little things that he's saying to them where probably a few years back, he would be saying that the same very things to them about, Jew, about Judaism. Don't be carried away with strange teachings. Hey, listen, don't, you know, don't go outside the camp because you'll be excommunicated as a covenant member. If you go outside the camp of Jerusalem, the camp of the law, the camp of the covenant, you're cut off. But here he's telling them, Go outside the camp. Why? Because Jesus went outside the camp. Now, to understand the, the power behind this and the, the heaviness of what he's saying, we really need to look at and understand what was this old idea that they were doing with the sacrifice. And so I look at this and I see this author telling us one last time, one final appeal because of his love for his people, Get outside the camp. Don't be carried away with these wacky teachings. Don't miss out on the grace of God. He's, in, he's calling him out. And so the first thing he's telling them to do is he's saying, turn from this old idea. Turn from your old remedy. You have a dilemma. Your dilemma is sin. It's part of your nature. You can't stop sinning. You need God's grace. This is your dilemma. The solution for them was to go and obey the law more. Get better at doing, being that covenant faithful member. Partake in the Passover sacrifice and Yom Kippur. Go to all the festivals. Do all the ceremonies. Worship God at the altar, sacrificing your own animal, and bring it there. That's the old remedy. 
He's saying you've got to get rid of your old remedies. <clears throat> we talked about that last week, about, the, about how the mind works. And every time we have a thought, there's a chemical reaction that goes on in our mind. And that chemical reaction creates a pathway. Or it creates, you could say, a rut. Right? We used this example on Wednesday evening is that if we have all this snow outside and if we shovel a pathway out to the back fire pit and, we, and I say to you, Joshua, get out there and go to the fire pit, the first thing you're going to do is jump on that path. You're not going to walk in, this, in the snow or even shovel a new path. Why? Because it's easy. You know the way. And you're going to keep going that way and you're going to keep going that way to the point where like me, sometimes I leave my house, I find myself on Route 33, and I'm like, I'm not going to church. I'm going to the kids' school. I'm going the whole different direction because my mind is so used to getting in the truck and coming to church. And that's our, the way we are when we respond to our sin, when we respond to problems in our life, when we respond to wanting to love God more. We start to create these responses and pathways and we just get caught in the rut well god wants you to create a new pathway and so as you create this new remedy for your the way that you deal with sin with god with trial with tribulation you're now thinking about your thinking you're catching yourself and you're changing and now that old rut gets filled up with snow right we don't even go there anymore we got the new rut now and that's the picture of what had to happen with these Hebrews. That has to happen with us too. Because we're so used to self-medicating. We're so used to going to the same old things. And because they're not plaguing us with guilt or shame or anything, and we're doing okay with it, we settle. But what God wants us to do is He wants us to strive after Him more and more and more. Open up your mouth wide, He'll fill it. He doesn't want you where you're at right now. He doesn't want you to start modifying behaviors to get there either. He wants you to draw closer to him, draw closer to Christ. And it's funny how everything else just takes care of itself. Your behavior starts to change. Your mindset starts to change. Your language starts to change. The things that you desired before, you're wondering, wait a minute, I, I want to want that thing I don't like because <laughs> I'm so used to wanting it. But no, God changed my mind on that. I don't need that anymore. I could, I'm free. And then we start to see and test the freedom that God gives us in Christ. And so this requires to go outside the camp. Okay? And this comes from the whole picture of the sacrifice. And again, I don't know if you know, you probably, for me, I just learned a lot of this stuff too because we sort of skim over these passages like we read today in Leviticus about, well, let's take the two male goats, or the two goats, and we, we do the scapegoat, and we think about all these things. But when you really zoom in, you see that this is um, a really clear picture of what he's talking about in terms of going out the camp, outside the camp. That's a picture of death. It's a picture of um, um, uh, erosion. It's a, it's a picture of, of complete just depravity, when you, the things that, are, uh, that were put outside the camp in, the, in Gehenna, the fire pit, the trash would go out there. Well, they had another place, too, for all the leftovers of the animal sacrifices. 
And so what the author's doing is he's switching. He's doing a switcheroo here. You see, outside the camp used to be bad because that's where all the trash went. But now he's flipping it. He's saying all the trash is inside the camp. We need to go outside the camp. And now the picture of the Jewish person would be, okay, you see, when you had a sacrifice, if you were just a regular person, right, normal person, I'm saying normal meaning you weren't like a real wealthy, wealthy person where you're going to go take like one of your prized bulls, you know, you're sort of a goat type of sacrificer, right? So you get your, your, your best goat, and, and the priest is the one that would chop the meat. So when you had a, wanted to get some meat filleted, you'd say, which goat are we going to sacrifice? You know, so take the, the white one. Okay, they would take the goat down to the priest. The priest would cut it up. He'd take out the kidneys. He'd take out the loins. He'd take out all the fat, and he would give that to the priest. The priest would take that and put it on the burnt altar of burnt offering, and that would burn, and that would be a sacrifice unto the Lord. A portion of that animal would also go to the priests. That's how they ate. So a portion would go to the priests. The other portion of the loins would go to the sacrifice. And then the actual people that brought the sacrifice would get a portion of meat, and that's what they would go home and they would eat. But what they did is the leftovers... The, that empty carcass, you could imagine it right in your mind, with the whole thing carved out and cut up, that would go outside the camp, and it would be dumped. And so the picture here is for us to go outside the camp with Christ. Because Christ went outside the camp. Why? Because like those animals, his flesh was defiled. God condemned sin in Christ's flesh. So the picture is this carcass, Christ, this flesh, going outside the camp. The command is we need to take our flesh outside the camp. Let it get consumed, burned in that heap. But the true insides they come to Christ. They come to God. Okay, the, the important stuff, right? You say, oh, I don't want the fat. Most countries, people like to eat fat, okay? Because it's nine calories per gram versus four with the carbohydrates. It's more money, right? It's more, more value to it. So that's, God wants the fat. He wants the best. So they put it on that offering. Now we go outside the camp, but we're also allowed where? Inside the Holy of Holies. Why? Because when Christ went outside the camp, the blood of Christ came in to the Holy of Holies. The blood of the goat and bull, not the goat and bull, the blood came in and was poured and rubbed on the horns of the altar and on the mercy seat for atonement. Jesus, he died outside the camp. We go with him, die outside the camp but we are now made alive. Why? Because he has taken his blood and applied it to our account. The blood, the holiest blood in, uh, ever in existence. The only blood, only the blood of a holy, righteous God can satisfy the justice and wrath of a holy, righteous God. The most amazing blood is poured on the altar and you are covered with that blood. Your sins are covered. 
Okay, just like that sacrifice was applied for that worshiper in the Old Testament covenant, Jesus' sacrifice of his blood is applied to those that believe in him. Now, the bad news is that there's no other blood that will do. So if you don't appropriate, believe in, and, and understand the fact that it's only by the blood of Jesus that you're able to enter in to this life of the city which is to come, this life of inner temple dwellingness going in the Holy of Holies, right? That te- the, the veil that covered it is, pitch, is like a piece of flesh that was what? Torn in two, and it's opened up. And so, so there's a lot going on in this passage that the writer's saying, and again, it's at the end of the book. So he's, he's throwing it. He's not hitting it right on the nose. He's not telling them directly, this is what you do, and this is the last time I'm telling you, get it. No, he's, he's already, this is a dead horse. He's already beat them down with everything, right? So thorough. So went, I mean, 11, 12 chapters of just going over and over and drilling this point home. And now, one more final warning, and he does it in the most indirect way, but weighty, powerful, right? Go outside the camp. And so we need to get rid of those old remedies. We need to get rid of those old ideas. And we need to go to make, replace it with one idea. And that's Jesus outside the camp. He is who we need to focus on. He is who we need to go to. Like I said before, you love God and everything, your behavior changes. Well, you love Jesus and you got everything else right. One swift punch. And so there is where we have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. Our altar is in the Holy of Holies. See, we are the royal priesthood. We can serve Christ in the Holy of Holies. The old priesthood is worthless. They have no altar to go to now that the temple's gone. They have no sacrifices to make. They have no law. It's all gone. It's all fulfilled in Christ. Now the next we, we see here, obviously, imitate the faith of the people that, that brought you to the Lord. Why? Because this is what they did. This is what they did. And Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Some people think this just is a great overview of the Christology, what this book says about Jesus Christ, about the, the, the messianic impact of Christ coming. This book lays it out of Christ before time began, right then and there in that present reality, and forever for all of us. And so that first thing, leave the camp, go outside, yes, but in order to do that, old ideas, old, uh, old um, remedies have to be put away. Now the second powerful command here is don't be carried away by varied, right? Remember Joseph had the, the, the coat, the variegated coat, right? Different colors, though it varied means. Don't be carried away by varied and strange teaching. Again, this is a word from the Old Testament. Strange teaching we see throughout the Old Testament to refer to anything that's contrary to the law of God. See the parallel? You see the, the irony here that the, that, the, that the author's using. Okay, strange teaching comes from, we see the Old Testament uh, with um, actually, we, we read about it a little bit in the beginning of Leviticus 16. 
Nadab and Abihu, which were Aaron's sons, offered strange fire, and they were killed. It said it right in the beginning of that uh, passage we read. So they put fire in these fire pans, they put incense on it, and they offered strange fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them, and fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them. Okay, there's also in the Old Testament strange gods. So this word strange is very much, a, a, it's a very common word that was used for the Torah, going off the Torah, going bad teaching from the Torah. Now he's using it to show them that turning from the Torah is what they need to do and following what they're doing is strange. So they're trying to look at these um, they're, 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 he's trying to, uh, to let them know that what's going on specifically as it relates to foods is not beneficial for grace. So he says, don't be carried away by strange teachings. It's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods. And so the Old Testament food laws, and for that matter, in any religion, food is very, usually a very important component. We even see today in, in in the Jewish religion, we see kosher, right? Everything has to be kosher. If I eat something that's not kosher, that's not blessed by the rabbi, that has that's the right type, that came from the right type of animal, that wasn't mixed with the same type of milk, and all this other stuff, I'm going to obey the law, and I'm going to be more spiritual. Where else do we see that? We see it in Roman Catholicism. Right? Abstaining from certain foods, eating only foods on some days, and this is all to benefit our spiritual health. And so the heart is not strengthened by those sort of things. We see that in Roman Catholicism with the Lord's Supper. And I was a Catholic my whole most of my life. I grew up as a Catholic, I went to Catholic school, heard masses in Latin growing up, went to eighth grade, got out of eighth grade, and went to regular school or at least enrolled in regular school. And, and uh, I, I still went to Catholic Church. But the thing is, is that you see the altar, right? You know, what do you do when you walk by the, sh the church, a Catholic Church altar? You genuflect, you remember that word? Or you bow your head. And the reason you do that is because, not because this is the place where the priest stands. The reason you do that is because in the back, there's a little sort of shrine that has these little doors that has the bread inside, the communion bread. Now that right now in that shrine is bread. But in a few minutes, it's going to be Jesus. Because that priest takes it out, he says a few words over it, and now that bread becomes the literal body of Jesus, and his wine becomes the literal blood. And what we do is we, in order to be saved, <laughs> salvation, you have to eat that bread on a regular basis and drink from that cup, from that priest. And if you don't, you lose your salvation. So this, this idea of people thinking foods were going to strengthen you is not new. Okay, and there was a lot of Gnostic Jews at the time which thought that only the, the, the meat that is, that is offered through the sacrificial system is, 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 are you able to eat. And, and we see in Romans 14, um, Acts 15, we see uh, they're always concerned with foods and eating foods that aren't going to be a stumbling block to someone else. 
That is not what I'm talking about. Okay, as it relates to stumbling blocks for other people, we should watch what we eat or what we drink around weaker, not weaker, but around people that stumble with those things. If we know it, we should, we should be wise when it comes to that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about saying, oh, you know, if you don't eat that or you do eat that, then you're going to be really super spiritual. And the only way that our spirit can be strengthened and the only way our person can be strengthened in Christ is not by anything material or anything we eat. It's about the grace of Jesus Christ, the grace of God. Okay, so he says here that they're strengthened by grace. And this is in verse 11, for the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as an offering for sin, they're burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate. So if there was any way for us to somehow get spiritually strengthened by something other than the blood of Christ, Jesus would not have had to do it. He would not have had to suffer. He would have not had to go outside the camp. It would have been something much, much more token, simple, and we would have had the list of laundry items, like every religion in the world, other than Christianity. Every religion in the world says, here's what you have to do to, to get to God. Christianity says, here's what God did to get to you. And that's the only religion that does that. They'll say, oh no, we're all about grace. You just got to do these 50 things with grace. You know, by the grace of God, you'll be able to work yourself into heaven. That's not what the Bible talks about. The Bible talks about the utter impossibility of doing anything other than completely relying upon Jesus Christ and you completely getting away from your flesh and yourself and your own ability, those two things have to happen. Okay? And then the God, the God of grace makes you alive. He gives you everything you need to live your life. Okay? And so we have to make sure that we're strengthened by grace, that we're not going off on these strange teachings, winds of doctrine, the Bible says. And that could be a whole sermon in and of itself. Um, we think of strange teaching. We think of cults. You know, we think of, you know, unbiblical teachings. But there's a lot of strange teachings, too, even inside of Christianity. So we have to be careful, especially as you learn about the Lord, as you read theology, as you study the Bible, you are going to get hit with eye-opening truths that are going to make you flip and, and run around and want to tell everybody what you just discovered. You will. And guess what? It happened to me. When I, when I discovered God's grace, I mean, I always knew it, but when I really understood God's grace, that's all I'd preach about. Right? When I first understood the kingdom of God and the fact that God saved us for the world and the kingdom is here again, that's all I preached about. When I, when I felt that the, the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit by the Lord is real, is good, that's all I wanted to preach about. But guess what? You can get tossed, and you can, get, you can go off, and then you can become all, that's all you talk about. And that's being carried off into a wind of doctrine. And that eventually leads to strange teaching. Because then that becomes it, Right? That meet people down this, on the boardwalk when I'm evangelizing. Are you preaching the gospel? Yeah. The real gospel? Yeah, the real gospel. The full gospel? Oh, you mean speaking in tongues? Yes. 
<laughs> now, I don't teach that you have to speak in tongues to be saved. Oh, blasphemy. <laughs> right? Strange teaching. Not what the Bible says, according to what I see. So we have to make sure that we have the foundations. That's why I encourage you guys to come to our foundations on Sunday morning at 9.30, quarter to 10. Quarter to 10 is fine. Get here quarter to 10. Because we're going over all the foundations of the faith. These are the things that will make you strong. When you get those errors coming at you or that overexcitement about a certain doctrine, it'll be able to level you out, okay, and stay focused. And so we see here this, this, this um, passionate last final plea, go outside the camp. Must turn, we have to evaluate our lives. We have to make a list. I know it's funny, but people don't like writing lists down. <laughs> you know, write down on a piece of paper this, this, these things in your life that you're struggling with. Or better yet, take a category of your life. What do you believe about that category? What do I believe about marriage? What do I believe about my singleness? What do I believe about purity? What do I believe about the gospel? Write it down and see if you're, if you write them down and see, number one, obviously check the scriptures, but keep that and look at it next year and then the year after. And if you could keep writing it down, you'll see how your views, they won't change but they'll grow exponentially. They'll get more and more meat, meat, meat on the bones. The more meat on the bones, the more protected you are from those fractures, from getting hit with these strange doctrines. And most importantly, it'll remember, you'll, you'll remember, when you think about it in this context of writing this list down and growing and being, you, you'll remember that us living this life for Christ, this, this life that he has pulled us out, on the surface has all this like violent language, death to self, right? Surrender, you know, all this crazy language, but really don't be afraid by it because it's actually, it seems violent, but on the other side, there's a freedom that's really indescribable. You, it's the, 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 you know, like the peace that transcends all understanding. It's like that. The freedom that you get when you fully commit to leave the old behind and head out into that out to head out through the gates outside the camp and know that Jesus will be there with you as you do it. Think about that what that means. Jesus will be there with you. Father, we thank you for this and we thank you for these amazing truths, Lord, specifically that we're able to come into your presence. Lord, that the the amazing work that you've done, the wisdom that you've used to put this world together to put Christ uh, blood, Lord, to be able to, to be efficient and sufficient for all of life, Lord, and, our, and all of our sins. We're just so thankful. So go before us, Lord, as we, as we trek outside the camp and we leave the old behind. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.